Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. So if you can, um, we have Bibles in our in the pew, which uh, part of why we do that is to remind ourselves that these five verses don't come to us out of nowhere, uh, but they're connected to the verses we read last week. So if you want to turn in your Bible, uh, it's on page 831, but we're reading Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him. Railed at Jesus, that is, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, being he here, said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Would you all pray with me? Father, we, um, we thank you for, uh, for the word made flesh, for Jesus. And we thank you for your word here to us. And Lord, we um, are reminded that already by your Holy Spirit, we are united with you. You are with us um, in your spirit. And so I pray that your spirit uh, would be with us as we look at your word and that um, we will be changed uh, as we encounter you. We pray in his name. Amen. Um, Before I began my work uh, kind of in helping to plant Advent and felt the call to do this, I uh, spent a season before uh, the Shields moved to Houston kind of band-aiding Rice RUF uh, and preaching there every week. And it became a joke uh, that every time I made a reference uh, to something in the culture that they had no idea what I was talking about. Um, I like to think it's not because I'm old, but because I'm cooler than they are. Um, I don't think that that's actually the case. I think it's because I'm old. Um, but... I say all that to say, how many of y'all have seen the movie Jerry Maguire? Okay, more than I thought, but um, not everybody also. So um, the movie Jerry Maguire is a movie uh, about a sports agent who develops kind of a, a crisis of conscience, right? And he thinks he's, uh, that, 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 that the business of sports agencies have, they have too many clients and too much money, and it's not enough about the relationship between them and the athlete, and so he writes a memo to his, his firm that they need to be uh, kind of cut off, um, you know, extra clients and all that extra money. And so uh, they do what most firms would do in that situation. They fire him. Um, and, uh, and so as he learns that he's being fired, he's, he, uh, he's you know, trying as hard as he can to get someone to come with him. Right? And all he can get is the goldfish. Uh, that's the only thing that he can get to come with him. However, at one point, one of the administrators is so inspired by his thinking about sports agency that she decides to go with him as well. 
And so they start their own company and they work closely together and they fall in love together. Um, but part of the movie and what makes it so interesting is that Jerry doesn't really know who he is or what he wants. Right? He doesn't know if he wants a successful business. He doesn't really know if he wants this successful marriage. He, he pretty much knows that he loves uh, the, the, his, his wife's child um, and it, that he is now the stepfather for. So he kind of drifts in and out of being a good husband and, and being a good agent until one, one night, sort of toward the end of the movie, he has an incredibly successful night for his business. Right? And rather than sitting there and celebrating with the athletes uh, that he's representing and all the others, he realizes that this doesn't mean much of anything because he and his wife are separated at that point. Right? He is not with her. And so rather than celebrating there, he runs back home. He catches a flight back to, uh, to his house and he finds his wife sitting there in sort of a, a divorced women's support group and he bursts into the living room to make a speech and to try and win her back. Um, and this is what he says. He says, tonight, our little project, our company had a very big night, a very big night. He says, but it wasn't complete. It wasn't nearly close to being in the same vicinity as complete because I couldn't share it with you. I couldn't hear your voice or laugh about it with you. I miss my wife. And then there's some famous lines that go after that as well. But the point here is that Jerry got everything that he wanted. Right? The, the exact thing that he began the movie with. He succeeded at do being a sports agent the way he wanted to be a sports agent. However, it meant nothing to him without his wife, the one that he was in this union with. Right? It was cheapened because she wasn't there. And what I love about the story is how clearly it represents what all of life is actually like. Right? Especially in a group like this where um, most everyone in this room has achieved, achieved, achieved. Right? Where you're, you're excelling in studies or um, your career or you have great friends or a great spouse or great children. Right? You're all in perfect shape. Um, you know, or something along those lines. Right? You have perfect hair. I'm not bitter. Um, <laughs> And yet all of that feels empty. All of that makes us feel lost without something more. Right? Um, and Christianity teaches us that we will remain restless, lost, unsatisfied, unless we are with the Lord. Right? That unless we are sharing in the goodness of His creation with Him unless we are sharing in all of life with him. And though it may not seem like it, that is actually what Jesus here is offering in his words. Right? He's not merely offering an awesome place to go. He's not merely offering paradise. He is offering himself. And so that's what I want to focus on when we look at this, uh, this passage. And we're going to look first at the unrepentant criminal, then the repentant and then finally, Jesus' statement here. Um, so the unrepentant criminal. Um, 
you know, as I mentioned earlier, this, these, these verses don't come to us out of nowhere. It comes from the passage we were looking at last week. Where the soldiers, you know, the officials, the crowds were, were jeering and they were mocking Jesus. You know, save yourself if you are the Messiah, right? Um, like they've crowned him with a crown of thorns and they've placed a mocking sign above the, crowd, uh, above the cross that says King of the Jews. Right? And, and here we see the unrepentant criminal has taken on the attitude of the crowd. Like kind of in the, in the irony of all ironies. Right? He is being crucified by the same crowd as Jesus, yet he sides with them over and against Jesus here. He joins in their scoffing. Right? Though this criminal is facing death, um, and actively dying, this experience has only seemed to harden his heart. All right, though he's one of the lowliest people uh, on that hill being crucified, he decides he needs to find someone a little bit lower so he can feel slightly superior. Right, kind of like all of us who've been picked on or made to feel weak, we can so quickly be tempted to turn and to find someone else to take that out on. He didn't want to, to see reality. He didn't want to take ownership of his own sin and mistakes. So he sees, um, he sees the crowd picking on someone even lower and he joins in. Even if for the, only the last few moments of his life to feel superior to someone else. To feel like the judge and jury passing judgment upon someone else. Right, as one pastor I read this week said, no matter how low we go, we can look for someone even lower to ridicule. Right. Um, because our circumstances, and this is sort of the point, circumstances don't actually change our hearts. Suffering or struggling can make us more humble, but it can also make us more vengeful, more spiteful. Um, our circumstances only serve as sort of a catalyst for change. We can allow those circumstances to soften us or we can allow for them to harden us. Right? And so suffering will harden us when we make more and more demands upon God and upon others within those circumstances. Right? And here, that is what the criminal is doing. He wants to be brought down from the cross, right? And he demands that Jesus will do it. Right? He wants deliverance, but it's pretty clear here that the only real deliverance that he wants is from the cross itself. Right? He wants to escape this imminent death. He wants to escape punishment. And then he wants to go back to doing life as he had been doing it before, as he saw fit before. As one theologian and commentator says, he says, perhaps he was prepared, this criminal was prepared to believe that Jesus was the Messiah if he would do a miracle and release him from a temporal punishment that was the consequence of his crimes. Yet when Jesus made no attempt to do that, he cursed him and the religion as a cheat. Right? We're willing to believe Jesus is who he says he is as long as he can give us what it is that we want. But the minute that Jesus gives us an answer to our prayers or our, 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 uh, our suffering um, of, you know, no, this is, this is what's best for you, we're ready a lot of times to flee, ready to give up on it. Right? Perhaps the criminal believed that Jesus was the Messiah 
for a minute. Right? Maybe he, he sort of tried that belief on and saw that it didn't fit with what he wanted or what his vision of himself was. And so he threw it away. Right? Deliver me, Jesus, from this oppressor's cross. But in Jesus' silence and in Jesus' submission to death and to the cross and suffering here, the hardened criminal thinks, what good is this guy to me? And that's the faith of the hard heart. To see God or to see whatever it is that we place our, our faith in, that higher power belief, it's only to see that as a means unto an end. That is the condition of the hard heart. Which is to say that the faith of the hard heart is not real faith. It isn't faith at all. Because in our hard-heartedness, we want someone who can help us to get the very things that we want. We're still self-reliant. right? We want a sort of genie in a bottle who will give us our three wishes and then go back into that bottle. To stay there forever and not demand anything else of me. And so we want God or a power that can work a miracle or two, but not demand anything of us in return. And so we can treat that Jesus in the exact same way. Right? Even if we aren't openly mocking him, like is being done here, we can say, you know, really positively, we can say, like, I love Jesus. But really what we mean when we say that is, I love what Jesus can give to me. Right? Um, I want him as the genie in the bottle of my life, so to speak. And though suffering and pain can harden our hearts, so too, though, can it be a catalyst for repentance and faith. And that's what we see here with the repentant criminal. Right? Um, in in Paul, uh, Paul's letter to the church uh, in Colossae, uh, he he refers to Jesus as being the image of the invisible God. Right? It, what Paul is saying here is that we can't, we can't see God um, because God is a spirit and he doesn't have a body like man, as the children's catechism answer goes. Um, but Jesus is God in the flesh. And part of what Paul is saying here to us is that when we see what Jesus is like, we too see what the Father, God the Father, is like. They ought to remind us of one another. And it seems like that is a bit of what is going on here with the second criminal. Because um, when we read the other gospel accounts of this, uh, of this episode, we, we actually see um, that both criminals are openly mocking and jeering Jesus kind of throughout their time together. Um, you know, we, we don't exactly know um, at, at what point, perhaps, uh, this criminal's heart changes. Um, you know, he's been with Jesus for hours and hours, kind of from the point at which the criminals would have come forward with Barabbas to come before Pontius Pilate. They would have been together. He would have seen Jesus whipped, would have seen Jesus crowned with thorns, would have walked with Jesus carrying part of the cross up to Golgotha. And while it's impossible to know for sure what it is that seems to, to change him, Luke seems to be pointing to us, uh, uh, pointing us to the fact that, that Jesus' words that we talked about last week seem to be the catalyst of change. He seems to suggest that the very thing that causes both of these criminals 
to, uh, to talk to Jesus is what Jesus had just said. Right? When he offered up a prayer to God the Father, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? When Jesus utters these words, it becomes a lot harder for the second criminal um, being crucified with Christ to mock him. And in response to the continuing jeers uh, 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 and scoffs of the crowd, the repentant criminal speaks. He turns to, to the first uh, speaker here um, that was openly mocking Jesus. And he says, do you not fear God? Because the second criminal realizes when Jesus is asking God the Father to forgive them that there's something happening between God the Father and God the Son. He recognizes him in one another. The second criminal realizes that he has now come face to face with his maker. And he will have to answer for his own sin. Right? He's seeing... Jesus' character of mercy and forgiveness and in seeing how he's responded over and against the crowd that is um, mocking him, he sees God the Father who has patience upon patience upon patience, who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And in so, he rebukes the first criminal for continuing that mocking. And then he turns toward Jesus with like the smallest acorn of faith. And he asks Jesus to please remember him when he comes into his kingdom. Right? And, and this request, this isn't for um, just sort of sentimental remembering. Um, you know, like if, if I go away, you know, please remember me in your hearts. Um, and like, yes, I want you all to do that, right? Like, I, I want you to think fondly of me. But that's not what's being asked here. This is kind of covenantal or salvific rem- remembering that he is asking for. It's a request for Jesus to come back and to save this man, to act on his behalf and to lift him up out of whatever lowly estate he will find himself in. The second criminal is asking for Jesus to bring him into this everlasting kingdom that he's supposed to be setting up. And what's so interesting here is that it's pretty clear that this criminal has no idea when any of this request might actually be answered. Right? Um, He isn't sure when the kingdom is coming or when Jesus will have the authority that he's supposed to have in order to actually uh, rule over this kingdom. Yet, he asks and makes this request nonetheless. Right? The acorn of faith that he offers to Jesus is a proper fear of God and a reverence of Christ, not full knowledge of what it is that Jesus will do and has done and is bringing. He realizes that he needs a savior. Right? That rather than look to someone who is even lower than he is, he needs to merely recognize his own lowly estate. Um, he needs to turn and to place his faith in someone who can actually do something for him, who can raise him from that lowly estate. And that means that the second criminal must place all of his hope in his crucified neighbor. In the second criminal, we see how a suffering and humbling circumstance can come into our life and how it should allow us um, to be driven toward Jesus. Our need should drive us to the one that can save. But the challenge uh, 
is that we can't do it half-heartedly. Right? Um, we are supposed to give him all of ourselves, and that's what the criminal is doing here. Remember me. I have nothing. I'm giving you my all, all of my hope. We must give him all because he offers us all. And that's what we see here in Jesus' words. So Jesus answers the repentant criminal above and beyond what has been asked for. Right? The second criminal asks to be remembered someday. Right? And Jesus tells him that today, this very day, he will be with him in paradise. Right? It's, it's not going to be that one day in the future, but this terrible day that's full of pain, that's full of suffering, it will end with that answer. Right? There's no need to go um, you know, to a place like purgatory, right? which uh, for those of you all who aren't very familiar is sort of a, an older belief, uh, a false belief um, kind of within Christian circles that if you've done not enough, if you haven't done enough right in your life, that maybe you need to go there for a bit and kind of live a life of penance uh, in order to, to work your way unto paradise, right? And if there's a single episode in the scriptures that make that not seem legitimate, it is this, right? Jesus is clear here. This criminal who definitely did some wrong things in his life, right? Um, he is able to be in paradise today. How? Because he's in Christ. Because he is with Christ. Right? And so not only is Jesus going above and beyond by saying that it will be today, but he's also saying that it's going to be paradise. Right? The criminal is asking for something small. He's asking to, to not be left behind. Um, you know, to not be without hope. And Jesus is saying more than, yeah, I'll, I'll remember you. You know, sometime when I sit on my throne, I'll give you a place as the court jester or, you know, something that's not that big of a deal, but uh, maybe I'll let you be my cupbearer or something like that. No, in essence, he's going to come into paradise. He will be brought into kind of the castle dwelling and will live amongst all of those in that paradise place with royal banquets and castle gardens. It's paradise. But the part that is easiest to miss is the part that is the most important. All of that, right? Wonderful promises, though they are, are nothing without Jesus. Paradise is not paradise without the presence of God. It would never feel like home. It would never actually be satisfying. And that is what Jesus offers. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Where I go, you are coming because I am with you. That is the good news for us this morning, which is that when we turn to Jesus, even in the smallest ways, like we see the criminal here doing, right? The smallest ways of, of, of repentance, right? Of, of recognizing that our sin is no good and realizing that Jesus is all our hope. Even if that is all that it is, we are guaranteed that we are with him. Faith unites us to him. And there is nothing else that you have to do. It is guaranteed by Christ. And so I say all of that. 
to say, you know, it, it can be really tempting as Christians to kind of come to Jesus or to come to Christianity for all, all of the benefits, right? Um, you know, I, I just want to avoid the bad place and I want to go to the good place, right? So um, that's really my main, my main goal, right? That can be one aspect. Or um, I just want, want, to, I want to become more like Christ. I want to be a better person, um, or I, I want church, I want friendships and, and good fellowships where I can be known and where people can, uh, and I can know others, right? And all of those things are good things, but they are the things that are added, right? We are reminded from this passage that the blessing of our faith is that through Jesus, God is with us. Right? He gives us himself. That is actually the story of the Bible. Though we were set apart from God in Genesis, in Christ we are with him. And paradise and fellowship and growing in Christ-likeness, all of that is added to it. And so as we place our faith in him, we are guaranteed that we are with him. With him now, by his Holy Spirit, and with him ultimately, whether uh, when he returns or calls us home. That is our faith. That is our hope. Let's place it in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we, um, we thank you that the answer to all of our prayers and all of our hopes is actually you. And that you offer us yourself. Um. Lord, we confess, I confess, the many ways in which I try and maybe look for all the benefits that come um, from, from being a Christian. Um, Lord, but may we seek first Jesus and his kingdom and trust that everything else will be added to us. May we allow for suffering and hardship in our life, not to harden our hearts, but to soften them and to drive us toward Jesus. I pray all of this in his name. Amen. 